Uh, Evan and Joe, anything I missed or you want to add? No, we'll just tease you for messing up the intro. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the <laughs> opening shtick. <laughs> Basically. Well, you can edit it later, right? Yeah. I already forgot what you called it. Skater? No. Skadian. Skadian. Skadian? Yeah. I wrote it down. Cool. A member of the SCA. Member probably of the SCA. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. All right. Here we go. Welcome to 321 Lay On Podcast. This is Next Level Nerds LARP Podcast with myself, Ashton Ruby, my brother, Evan Ruby. Hey, And our good friend, Joe Gaffney. What's up? Uh, as maybe some of you know, LARPing and cosplay and reenactments get lumped in together sometimes, uh, and there's a lot of uh, overlap and crossover. Um, so today we have a friend of ours, Karen, who is a member of SCA and is going to tell us about that because I'm peripherally familiar with it. I, um, Where I went to school, I would always drive by this one location that they always had a big SCA festival and it always looked really cool, uh, but I never attended or knew too much about it. So we're here to learn about it. Thanks for joining us, Karen. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Now, uh, Give us a little, tell us a little about yourself. Um, what is SCA in a nutshell and how did you find out about it and get involved? Well, um, so the Society for Creative Anachronism is the full name of the group. And it is uh, not exactly a reenactment group. We call it a kind of a um, historical... Um, interactive anthropology kind of a thing. So what we do is we try to recreate elements of the Middle Ages and Renaissance uh, that are fun and interesting. Mm -hmm. We don't actually recreate any particular events necessarily. So we don't say, okay, we're going to do the Battle of Agincourt or we're going to do, you know, the Hundred Years' War. Uh, But we have a very wide time range Anything pre-1601 is part of the Society for Creative Anachronism. Similarly, we don't use names of people who really existed. So you can't decide to be Richard the Lionheart. I can't say I'm Eleanor of Aquitaine. But instead, we come up with who we would have been if we had lived during that time period. So different people choose different times and places and cultures that they really are interested. Sometimes... It's based on their family history and um, ethnic origins. Sometimes it's just a place and time that they found really interesting. So I joined the SCA in 1977. I was 19 years old. I kind of stumbled across it. There was a big festival um, in Rhode Island. I lived in Massachusetts just over the border from Rhode Island. And they had this big event that was part of a bigger thing that Rhode Island was doing when the tall ships came to visit. So a friend of mine went and saw it and thought it was really cool. But it took another year before I actually joined the the group. By that time, I was in college in western New York at the State University of New York at Fredonia. And uh, I lived in western New York and uh, either Fredonia or Buffalo and was very involved in the SCA there for about 10 years 
moved to New Hampshire for a year and then ended up in Pittsburgh in 1990, where I've been ever since. And um, I, I have, we call them personas, the, okay. um, the character that we play. Not everyone has one. You're not required to have one. Uh, some people are just kind of generically medieval, but some people are more interested in actually trying to be from a particular time and place. When I joined the SCA, I was very interested in Elizabethan and Tudor culture, Henry VIII and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but I also liked a lot of other things. Um, so my SCA name is Ariana of Winthrop. Now, Ariana I took from the name of the first ever opera that was written by Claudio Monteverdi. It was the story of Theseus and Ariadne, and the Italian form of Ariadne is Ariana. And Winthrop was the name of the street that ran down through the middle of the town that I grew up in in Massachusetts, named for Governor John Winthrop, who came over in the early 1600s. So I figured, you know, it was close enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I've, I've kind of strayed from that time period, as a lot of SCA members do. So, okay. for example, the guy that I'm dating, his persona is Japanese. Oh. And my late husband was a German 14th century. My two sons have been involved in the SCA. One is a Highland Scot and the other one's a Lowland Scot. And it's just a question of what uh, kind of thing interests you. And then people just kind of run with it. Wow. Interesting. Cool. Now, this is... Um more of like you become a member and you go to um what do you call them the festivals the events events um, yeah more so than like a renaissance fair where anybody shows up and walks around is that right or am i yeah well so the difference between the sca and a renaissance fair is first of all everything we do is participatory there's there are no spectators okay so if you want to come to an sca event you actually don't have to pay a membership fee to come to an event um, although you can be a member that gets you some newsletters and a discount on um, admission to the events but when you come to events you must be wearing a costume and participate in the activities and depending on the event there's a lot of different things you can do uh, in the spring, summer, and fall, we often have events with combat. There's multiple types of combat. We have uh, combat where everybody dresses in real armor and uh, uses uh, swords made out of rattan and real metal shields. And then we also have rapier, which is most people would call fencing, but it's a little heavier weapons than the typical epee and foil that a lot of people are accustomed to with Olympic-style fencing. And then we also have other martial areas. So, for example, I participate in archery. Uh, this is target archery, but we actually also have people who do what's called combat archery, where they use modified arrows to shoot at the people fighting in the armor and okay. using the rattan swords. Uh, we have thrown weapons where you can take actual sharp knives and axes and throw them at tree stump targets. Uh, we have youth combat, so kids under 18 can fight each other with padded weapons that are probably more similar to what most LARP groups use. Mm -hmm. They usually pad them with either pipe insulation or pool noodles. And I've run youth combat for a number of years uh, with the local group and also with the larger area uh, that we have, which we call a kingdom. Um, there's, uh, there's so many other things. We have equestrian people who do kind of, uh, obstacle courses with, uh, their horses and various kinds of implements. They have to, for example, throw spears into hay bales or knock items off of, uh, pedestals. And there's been a little bit of experimentation with actual jousting using, I believe it's balsa wood or foam, uh, lances. That's relatively new. Okay. But... There's a lot of other things besides all those martial areas. So, for example, I direct a choir that sings medieval and renaissance music. 
Uh, I uh, do artwork that is given out by our king and queen to people in recognition of their skill or service to, or uh, you know ability with various things for the group. And that's a commemorative document that is painted usually to look like a medieval book of hours uh, with calligraphy on it and all that. Um, there are people who do leather work and woodwork and uh, make candles and weave. I um, do a little bit of weaving, which I just recently learned. Um, I'm also involved in a group that performs 16th century Italian comedies. Um, so, you know, there's just lots of different areas that people can be involved in. Almost everybody either makes costumes or has someone make costumes for them because it's kind of hard to go find those off the rack. But there are, mm. um, over the years, there have been merchants who've developed uh, and actually sell costumes for people who don't know somebody who sews or don't want to learn how to sew on their own. Um, and they can be as simple as a plain old tunic and as elaborate as a Queen Elizabeth the first gown with hoop skirts and big ruffs and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> it just depends on what people want to do. So it, it sounds like there's a lot of people that come to this, to these events. Um, how how big would you say uh, the group that you meet with? Is. The SCA, as I said, is an international organization. It's pretty um, widespread throughout the um, United States and Canada. There are also quite a large number of groups in Australia. There are groups in England and Sweden and Germany. Uh, there's actually a group in South Africa, oh. Singapore, China, Guam. So there, it's, it's pretty widespread. Um, it's hard to tell how many people participate in the group because, as I said, membership is not required to go to events. So I believe the last number I saw was that there were 35,000 members with actual paid members. But the best estimates are there are probably somewhere around three times that who participate. So maybe 100,000 worldwide. Now, uh, we divide the world up into these groups uh, based on... Uh, membership and and kind of where they want to be part of and it, it's kind of funny because you know in the real world you started with these very large empires um, like the Roman Empire and you know the Empire of Charlemagne and then they would break up into uh, smaller groups but you, more commonly you have smaller areas that gra gathered together we, we actually do the the first one um, when the SCA started it was just out in the west uh, in California it was founded in Berkeley California in 1965 uh, by a college professor and her friends who decided they wanted to protest the 20th century. Uh, and uh, so they had a May Day party. Um, yeah, and, and, uh, and it spread from there to New York City and the East Coast and then to Chicago in the Midwest and grew and grew and grew. And so um, when I first joined in 1977, there were four kingdoms the east, the the west, the middle, and we called it in Chicago, and then the southern kingdom had its had a different name entirely, which was Aitenveld, which is um, this kind of um, sun savanna is what that translates to, but it's two different languages kind of mashed together. That was 40 years ago. Now there are 20 kingdoms. Um, so because each of the kingdoms, as they got bigger and bigger, became harder to administer, and so subgroups would form off. And so I, for example, right now live in a kingdom called Athelmark that is comprised of the middle and the center and western portions of New York and the same center and, and western portions of Pennsylvania and all of West Virginia. And our kingdom has probably about 1,700 paid members which would imply that there's somewhere between three and 4,000 total people, I would say. Um, now, the Pittsburgh area group that I live in is the biggest group in that kingdom, 
we have about 350 paid members, but not all of them participate in every event. So, for example, our biggest local event probably draws about 200 and some people. The Penzik War, which I know you wanted to talk about, is the biggest event in the entire world for the society. And uh, that would just finished up a week ago. It's uh, the end of July and the beginning of August. And there were 10,500 people from all over the world at the Penzik War. Wow, that's crazy. That's awesome. <clears throat> we're happy when we get 50 people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where was that located? Uh, it's in a campground in uh, outside of Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania, oh. right off of Route 79. If um, mm-hmm. people from the Pittsburgh area are probably familiar with it, because if you drive uh, up 79 past the uh, exit for Route 422 and you look west, you'll see this sea of tents mm-hmm. uh, on the left side of the road as you're heading north um, for those those two weeks at the end of July and the beginning of August. And uh, that's actually only about a third of the entire campground that we use. It's just the part that's visible from the highway. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, I went to Slippery Rock, so that was what I drove past every summer yeah. pretty much. So. That was that was it. It um, this was Penzik War forty seven. So that tells you. I mean, it's been in that site for forty one years. It was at other sites before that, but since uh, I think it was nineteen seventy six, uh, it was the first one that was held there. And that's the biggest event worldwide for SCA. It is. There are some oh, other. Uh, we we call it the Penzik War because it's a it's a competition between various different kingdoms. There are other wars. When I use say war, I, I, that's with quotes yeah. around it because you know we're not we're not actually killing anybody. But um, you know the, the the line we usually use is that we use real armor and fake weapons because we don't want to get real dead. <laughs> so um, our our goal is you know you fight your your opponent and you have an honorable battle and when you're done you give the guy a hand to get him up off the ground and then you go have a beer together. Um, but. The, uh, there are wars in other places. There's one down in Mississippi that typically draws three to 5,000, and there are some in the Midwest and the West, and, you know, there's lots of them all over, but this is the biggest one here in Pennsylvania, and the, and the oldest. That's awesome. Now, you <laughs> are very well-informed, which is awesome. Um, are you? Do you have some kind of position with the group, or are you just that much of an enthusiast <laughs> like we are about LARP, or what? <laughs> um, well, so I've been in, in, involved in the SCA for 41 years because um, I'm 60 now and I was 19 when I started. Mm-hmm. I've held a lot of different positions. Um, uh, right now I'm the, the Kingdom Youth Combat Marshal, which means I'm the one in charge for the entire kingdom. Um, and I just actually was in charge of all of the youth combat at Penzik this wow. year. We had 109 kids participate in the youth fighting. Um, I've held other offices over the years. I've um, we have a we have a, a structure for awards that are given. Now the the premise of the SCA is that everybody who's a member is considered to be nobility unless they specify otherwise. If they say I want to be a peasant, you can be a peasant. But most people are assumed to be some level of lower nobility to start with. And then as you do stuff in the group, you can earn awards for being either really skilled at something or doing a lot of work to keep the organization running. So there are um, three tiers of awards. We have what are called award of arms level, which you can get for service, arts, martial stuff. And you can also just get an award of arms by itself. And that entitles you to call yourself 
lord or lady so-and-so. So, um, when I got my word of arms, I was then Lady Ariana. And then there are a middle level that are, are grants of arms, um, which are similarly structured for all the different activities we do. And then we have the top level, which are peerages. And if you get a peerage, that's kind of like being a knight. Mm. Um, we do have knights. In order to become a knight, you have to be a really, really good fighter. Uh, and you have shown not only skill, but also honor and courtesy and all the kind of um, things that we consider. Yeah, chivalry, the, the way that, that we think of knights as, as being. Mm -hmm. But those same attributes are required for other orders that are given for uh, service and for arts. And we also have another award specifically for fencing. And I am a member of the peerage for both service and arts. So um, I am what's called a member of the Order of the Pelican for service and the Laurel for arts. Wow. So you, you, may, you may refer to me as Mistress Ariana. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should have nice. told me that when we first started. I would have said, oh, joining no. us today is Mr. Sariana. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we also we also have a, a, another structure that kind of um, is alongside that where local groups that are large enough go. So a, a small group is called a shire. And then if a group gets big enough, they can become a barony. And a barony is ruled by a baron and or a baroness. So, for example, the Pittsburgh area, which is the barony march of the debatable lands, uh, because we're right where Penzik happens. And mm. So um, it was kind of debatable as to who owns it was the theory. But um, we have a baron and baroness, some friends of mine who were elected as baron and baroness. At the same time, the kingdom has a king and queen. Now, the king and queen are not elected. They are chosen in a tournament every six months. Oh, cool. So our current king and queen are in that role because the king won the tournament last fall they spend six months as crown prince and princess then they have a big coronation ceremony which is all very much um pomp and circumstance and splendor and the old king and queen step down they crown the new king and queen and then we have that set of king and queen for a six-month period and then they crown their successors and that'll be at the end of september and so on and it just keeps going and if you win that cr the crown tourney to become king and queen after you finish your term as king and queen the first time that you step down you become a count or a countess um, and if you do it twice you're a duke and a duchess and after that people just think you're crazy because you, it's a lot of work if you do it more than twice because yeah. <laughs> our kings and queens travel all over the place so from hmm. end to end our kingdom is about 12 to 15 hours distance mm -hmm. uh, and they try to go to all the different local groups in order to recognize people who've accomplished things and give them awards that's one of the things they do so for example this coming weekend my son and I are going to an event about two hours south of Charleston West Virginia it's about five and a half hours from Pittsburgh uh, because he's the baronial champion for fighting and I am the baronial champion for bardic arts which is like oh. singing and so we have to represent our barony against all the other baronies at this event. But there are people who will be coming from groups that are as much as 10 or 12 hours away. Mm -hmm. So it's... it's, Regionals, it's basically. Yeah, so it's a long way to travel for a lot of these events, which is why it's a lot of work and also a lot of money for kings and queens to to fulfill their role because they have a lot of traveling to do and, you know, and they're supposed to look spiffy. So they mm -hmm. usually get new garb, costume that is... Um, but usually people will help with the, the sewing parts of that. So, Hopefully but, yeah. access to the treasury. <laughs> uh, yes, there, there is a, an, an exchequer, we call it. 
uh, with uh, funds uh, for the kingdom and the local groups also have funds. Uh, There are fundraisers that are done over the course of the year sometimes. When we have events that are uh, kingdom level events like the coronations and the crown tourneys, the kingdom usually gets some portion of the profits from that and then they use that money for a variety of things. For example, I asked for money to go to buying equipment for youth marshals around the kingdom that were just starting up their programs. Uh, this year at Penzik, they rented a bigger tent for the uh, royal encampment because they use it for meetings, and the one they had was too small. I'm getting old. Um, they use that money for a lot of different things. There's a f- travel fund for the king and queen, although it's not big enough to cover all mm-hmm. their expenses. So, yeah. Awesome. Good to be the That's king. Really cool. Uh, sometimes, sometimes not. It depends on on what happens. Sometimes, you know, like in any organization, there can sometimes be conflict. Sure, yeah. And while we have other officers to handle that, every now and then it does get to the level that the king and queen have to step in and uh, be kind of negotiators and arbitrators and that sort of thing. So, like I said, it's a lot of work. Yeah, but a lot of fun, I'm sure, right? Absolutely. You do get to say you're a king. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's cool. Now, what, in your opinion, is kind of the per- outside perce- perception of SCA uh, to either someone who's kind of never heard of it and you first start talking about it or people that have driven by and seen it? Um, you know, anyone who's not involved but knows of it, what is your general sense of kind of people's take on it, I guess? <laughs> Well, you know, that's changed over the years. It used to be when I first joined in the late 70s and early 80s that people thought we were a little crazy. Um, but now, um, first of all, the group's been around long enough that a fairly large number of people have encountered it at some point or another. Like I was just telling a coworker of mine, a project manager, uh, about, she said, how was your vacation? And I told her, you know, I went to this thing. And she was like, oh, I, you know, I remember running into the SCA in college. So it's, it's a little more familiar now than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Plus, um, with cosplay, being around and a lot of LARP groups, lots of people can relate that, oh yeah, that's kind of like LARP, it's kind of like cosplay. Um, we have a more historical bent most of the time, but not all, not everybody in the organization is really big on the historical part. It just depends on how you want to do it. But yeah, most people, I think, when, you, when they encounter it, usually there's a familiarity now that didn't used to exist 30 or 40 years ago because of all the other cultural things that have been going on. Mm-hmm. Is there ever, not even prejudice or criticism, but uh, I mean, in my own life, I still run into people that kind of like, they're more or less their reaction is, LARP is weird, or that's weird, (laughs) you know, like just Uh, recently. um, And not to belabor too much on that, because I don't want to focus on negative, but I I am always kind of curious of what is the perception and others' perceptions and kind of one of the things I'd like to do with this show if people come across it learn that it's you know there's probably something for anybody or it's not as fringe or weird as you might think you can I mean everything you sounded to me again I'm biased but sounded awesome like who wouldn't want to pretend to joust or pretend to you know blacksmith well, or whatever well so that's the thing is we aren't pretending I think that's one of the biggest differences between the SCA and LARP um, I've actually worked with a friend to uh, smelt iron into into steel. I've mm-hmm. actually, you know, made a lot of these things, um, and and that's why I kind of we we call it sometimes um, experimental archaeology. I know people who've traveled to Europe specifically to look at digs to see how you know armor was made or weaving mm-hmm. was done or you know whatever, and then we do get hands on. Uh, honestly. 
you know, that's weird was a much more common response in years long past. I mean, my father, um, who's, who's gone now, but when I was involved in this, when I was in college, he said, yeah, that's weird. And when I was in my 30s, I was like, are, are you still doing that? I thought that was a thing you did in college. But, you know, most of the people I talk to now, I mean, the, probably the, the worst reaction I get is, mm, okay, <laughs> you know, like, that's yeah. you know, not my thing, but sure, whatever you want, you know. But a lot of people will say, hey, that's really cool, mm-hmm. um, you know, even if it's not necessarily something they're interested in, um, because there's just so many different things that we can do, and it's all very hands-on. Right. Yeah. That, that was my... So a friend of mine who talked to me about SCA was like, if you want, if you like LARPing, but you want to go all in and not just role play and kind of like fling, you know, foam swords at each other or whatever, um, but you want to actually like, you know, learn how to smith or learn how to sew and crochet and make things like of the time period with the tools of that time period that like SCA is where you'd want to go to learn those things. Which is, yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, really amazing. So, yeah, you have all my respect because <laughs> <laughs> and I would definitely love to try that or do some of that for real um, and even you know inform our game or my role play uh, a little more you know so that's feels more immersive more accurate um, I, I just personally I enjoy that kind of thing you know if I can like I said pretend but um, if I can pretend more realistically sometimes that's more enjoyable for me you know so to stop pretending and actually do it would be, uh, I guess, another step or something. Yeah, well, and so one of the things, too, is the SCA isn't really one hobby. It's a whole lot of hobbies all mm-hmm. rolled into one. So, um, you know, I can spend an evening doing artwork with one group of friends, and then I can go sing with another group of friends or some of them the same friends, and then I can go to a archery practice and we can all shoot arrows at targets together. And so, you know, there's, there's lots of different things. I only took up weaving a, about two years ago, even though I've been at this for 40 years. It's just something that I'd never happened to occur to me to do until I went to a class someone taught that's the other thing we have a lot of people teaching each other the things that they've learned so I went to this class and I had originally thought oh weaving looks like it would be kind of boring and it wouldn't it would take too long and all that and then this woman showed me this piece of uh, trim that she had woven and I said so how long did that take thinking she was going to say you know 70 or 80 hours and I would think yeah I don't have the patience for that and she said oh maybe eight or ten hours I was like wait what I could do eight or ten hours, no big deal, sure. sure. And I got myself a loom, and now I have two looms because I just got another one. Oh, <laughs> so you can tell yeah. actually, I'm yeah. really uh, <laughs> kind of uh, into it now. Nice. nice. That's funny. I wanted to get a, a loom for our game because we have a tailoring class, but we only have an anvil <laughs> for the crafters. So I wanted to get, you know, a spinning wheel and a tanning rack. And... Yeah. Actually, I, I staff at the game. I, you know, a group of friend of ours. We we got together and started uh, a game for nonprofit. But yeah, we tr- we try and encourage the players to role play as realistically as possible. Um, so there's like alchemy in the game, and people actually like some so, some players actually crush stuff in, you know, mortar and pestle and mix it with water and stuff like that. You know, so there's some like kind of like mock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Attempts to mimic actual alchemy. Hopefully, nobody drinks. Yeah, anything that they shouldn't. Uh, well, see, in the SCA, we have brewers who do that sort of stuff, and you can drink what they make. That's awesome. and it's actually pretty good. Yeah, that's awesome. 
so in in LARP we kind of have this thing where like you know once lay on happens so to speak like you try and stay in character the whole time is that something like you know you guess practice like you're trying to I mean you're you said you were you're playing yourselves or who you would be like during that time period but you're trying to stay in character and not talk about the outside world it's kind of like an escape from that yeah, so uh, it, at one point in time, I think the SCA was more like that. It's um, one of the things that people debate back and forth about in the organization, um, how much of modern world is allowed to intrude. Some people are more or less tolerant of that sort of thing. Um, we, we have a lot of workarounds to hide the, the what we call mundane or modern world kind of things. So people will, for example, get leather covers for their tablets when they're sitting at a bardic circle and they want to sing, but they don't want to, you know, they don't have the songs memorized. Yeah, looks like that it's sort in a book thing. or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, we're, because we don't have a story arc the way that a lot of LARP does, there isn't as much pressure, I think, to try to stay in a particular character because the characters are very malleable. I mean, I can be I can be in a lot of different roles depending on the type of event that I'm at and the situation of what I've involved in doing. I you know, if I'm cooking the feast, I'm working in a different kind of mode than if I am the baron running a court. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the same person could do all of those things. So we don't have that sense of uh, quite so much of I have to stay in character as uh, I think that some of the LARP games do because we don't have that cohesive story. Um, On the other hand, things are loose enough that, you know, stuff happens the way it happens. And when we start a battle, we don't know who's going to win. We don't know, you know, how it's going to come out. Nothing's scripted. It's all go out there and, you know, hit each other and see who manages to hit the right spot soonest and kill the other guy and, you know. So it just, it really depends. And we have themed events as well. So uh, I've been to events where everybody wore Japanese and we did mm-hmm. Japanese tea ceremonies. I've been to events where everybody was supposed to do a particular time or place. We have an event in the fall that is actually based on the Battle of Agincourt, which is one of the big battles between the English and the French in the Hundred Years' War. And uh, the fighters divide up into sides, and one side's the English and one side's the French, but that's not necessarily related to who their personas are, so much as this is the, the game we're playing in this particular uh, event. So it's it's a lot more freeform, I think. Hmm. Nice. Like I said, I didn't know much before we started, and <laughs> I feel like we're just scratching the surface. <laughs> yeah, not overwhelmed, <laughs> but I'm pleasantly surprised. Well, it's, a, it's also very family-oriented, and that's happened over the years. When I started, it was all college students, but these days we have all ages of people. My kids started being involved in the SCA practically from birth. My younger son is a fencer and a fighter, and he sings with the choir, and he spins wool into yarn, and um, he, he has a great old time doing it all. Um, and he's also received quite a number of recognitions, although he's not a peer yet, <laughs> but... Uh, but, you know, maybe someday. Um, and, uh, there, you know, people bring their their babies with them to events at Penzik. There were newborn babies all the way into people in probably their 80s. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a there's things for everybody to do. And you don't have to be a combatant to be involved in the group. And I know, I know people who never st- set foot on the battlefield the entirety of the two weeks of Penzik because there are a thousand, literally a thousand classes 
offered over the course of that two-week period. And uh, performances by musicians and theater groups every night. And there's 150 merchants selling all kinds of stuff. If you want to go buy a new hat or some clothing or a sword or a helmet, there are people out there selling it. Um, So there's parties in people's camps. Just lots of different things to do. Now, is there like an entry fee? You said that you don't have to be a member, but when you show up, do you have to pay to attend? Or like you said, as long as you're in cost? Okay. Yes. So, so every, yeah. So every <laughs> event has a, a, its own fee structure. Usually, the groups try to come pretty close to break even. We don't tend to usually make a lot of profit on our mm-hmm. events. There are some events that are designated as fundraisers where they, um, you know, might set the the break even a little higher just to make sure that they do have some uh, income from it. But uh, it just depends. So usually on the the cost of the site, that's a, the biggest cost of running an event. I've run lots of events over the years, um, including several coronation crown tournaments uh, another big event we run often is 12th night the biggest event I ran was had 900 people at it uh, wow. that's a little unusual it was it's a windor an indoor event that's held in Buffalo New York uh, in usually March or April um, that was a few years <laughs> quite a few years ago but um, more typical events are usually somewhere in the 100 to 200 and maybe 300 range um, so, for example, a typical event locally, you would pay somewhere between ten and twenty dollars to get in, plus an additional fee if you want to stay for the the dinner, which we call a feast. There's usually a sideboard of food for like a buffet during the day for lunch, um, and then once you're in, you don't have to pay for any of the additional activities. Uh, it's not like there's an extra fee to go fight or to do archery or whatever. Uh, on the other hand, usually you need to bring your own equipment for a lot of those and. Uh, the you know, equipment can be a little pricey, but usually we have loaner gear for people who are brand new. Oh, cool. And then real money exchange for, you said there were vendors and stuff, or do you like buy gold coins or something? <laughs> no, we, uh, we use real money with okay. the vendors. So, you know, like um, this year, as I said, I bought a loom uh, that was about $135, which was actually pretty reasonable for the loom that I got. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually try to limit my purchases to one big thing every sure. every year. Um but, you know, and you can also buy smaller things. I've bought yarn to make into uh, my weaving. Um, I've bought uh, hats or, or other elements of, of garb. Uh, I bought, I mean, there are even people who will sell themed T-shirts, which is about as far at the edge of, of not medieval as we let the vendors go, at, at least at Penzik. So I bought my sons some, some T-shirts from, they were just commemorative of the event. But, um, you know, my, my younger son who fences tends to wear late period costumes, which means he needs long knee socks to go under his breeches. And so I've bought him some <laughs> socks at these events. I bought fabric to make costumes later with, um, that sort of thing. So the thing is that Penzik is is really huge, and it's it's kind of hard to explain it to people. Um, usually, when somebody asks me what Penzik is like, um, there is a um, a video that NBC News took um, two three years ago. And if you just go to Google and plug in NBC News and SCA, you will see uh, a a video that they shot that's called something like "For Honor and Glory." And it explains, and you know, the whole mm-hmm. how things are doing. Well, they one of their reporters got armor on and and had people hitting her, and she was hitting them, and and it kind of 
touches on a lot of the things that I've talked about, and you can see come some of the things. The, the, the main battlefield is probably about five or six acres, and there's a hill above it, and you can actually watch the battles from above, and it's just amazing because you'll have you know somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 people on a side, and when they say lay on and they charge at each other, it's pretty, pretty intense. Yeah. And I imagine like this is like you guys are setting up a a a small city, you know, with with about ten thousand people. Yeah, you know. Yeah, actually, um, somebody went and researched it and found out that for those two weeks of the year, Penzik is, I think, something like the twelfth largest city in the state of Pennsylvania. <laughs> nice. I think I've actually heard that before. <laughs> That's interesting. It's pretty cool. Any good drone shots of the whole thing? Anybody get that? So you can kind of uh, see so how big the, the people who own the campground don't permit drones uh, over the site, but there is um, usually somewhere during the first week a helicopter that goes over and takes panorama views of just the campground, and you can people will like buy postcards mm -hmm. of it and look and say, "Look, that's my tent," or whatever, yeah. you know. Nice. <laughs> that's really cool. Now, uh, I wonder this generally, but you can only answer for yourself, but what do you think it is that makes somebody want to do this, um, to really like go back in time and, you know, live as if they were born four or 500 years ago? Like, what is it that makes you want to do that? Well, you know, it's interesting because the SCA seems to attract uh, specific groups of people. Most of the people that are involved are very intelligent and very curious, and they like to work with their hands. Um, and oddly enough, a lot of them are computer programmers. Um, <laughs> we yeah, have but, a lot of computer programs in LARP too. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's kind of They don't want to see a computer true. for a weekend or two yeah, weeks. Yeah, um, but there's, there's a lot of people in tech. There's a fair number of people who are teachers and librarians and those yeah. kind of people who, who just think history is cool, but not all of them. Um, so. Uh, I think a lot of it is a combination of the, the the opportunity to try something that will test you to to try to learn something that is outside of your normal comfort zone. There's a little bit too of the romance of it. You know, um, I think that a lot of people there there have been kind of I want to I don't want to call them triggers exactly, but things over the years like Game of Thrones when that came out. Um, when Star Wars came out, you know, where could you play with real swords that were sort of like lightsabers? Well, the SCA, we actually were asked to do demonstrations outside of movie theaters when the first Star Wars movie came out um, because <laughs> it was swords, right? You know, um, the the Lord of the Rings movies, people see the, the sword fighting there and they go, oh, that's really cool. Well, look, there's this organization where you can go and do sword fighting. Um, so, you know, and Princess the fact Bride that there... For me, that fight scene. You know, yeah. That was like... <laughs> I think we actually did that in our backyard a lot of times, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you'll also find a fair number of people who were just always, that was kind of something that they liked ever from since childhood. You know, the people who, as kids, grabbed the garbage can lid and a stick and beat their brothers, which I'm, you know, suspecting you two of you might have done. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we had four um, brothers, I, so yeah. Yeah. 
When I was a, a kid, you know, everybody else was playing cowboys and Indians, and my best friend and I were reading stories about Queen Elizabeth at her at her court and role playing that out as and dressing up in in costumes when we were like nine, ten years old because mm-hmm. we thought it was interesting and cool. And when I found the SCA, I was like, holy cow, I get to actually do this, not just pretend. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's different. People have different motivations. Um, there are certainly some people for whom the fighting is everything. The fact that they get to take this aggression that there's not really a good outlet for in the real world and go beat the heck out of somebody in a safe way um um, so you know um it really it varies by person but Mm -hmm. i think a lot of is the combination of the the hands-on and the romance Mm -hmm. and definitely the community of it's not just me doing this but i'm now with you know people cut from the same cloth and into the same thing and i'm accepted and we're sharing in this experience together right Absolutely. Um, You know, um, there's a a woman named Heather Dale. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She's a singer, songwriter. Um, She did a TED Talk at one point about finding your tribe Mm -hmm. um, and how... You know, she she started out doing, you know, like house uh, concerts and performing for really small groups of people. And she was advised that she needed to broaden the appeal of her music to be more popular. And she tried it and found that it wasn't making her happy. And instead, what she did was she contacted other people. She was She's involved in the SCA. She's originally from Toronto. Oh, cool. um, but she contacted people in the SCA and said, hey, would you do you have a group of people in your area who would be willing to pay to come see a house concert? And they did. And she would travel all around Canada, the United States, to perform for you know, 10, 15, 20 people and sell her CDs. And she's been able to make a living at that because she found her... The, a group of like-minded people. And the SCA does that for lots of people. It gives you that community. So, for example, if I needed to move to Wisconsin or, or you know, Arizona or whatever, I would find a local group there of people in the SCA who would, I can assure you, automatically accept me and allow me to do all the things that I do in Pittsburgh to, you know, within the capacity of that local group. Um, When I moved from Buffalo to New Hampshire, um, and I lived there for for almost a year, um, there was a small group of college students who had a medieval club that was kind of the campus version of the SCA. And they were all pretty new, whereas I'd been in the SCA for about 10 years at that point. So I spent that entire year teaching them stuff. Yeah. Whatever they wanted to learn, well, they wanted to learn heraldry, so I taught them heraldry. They wanted to learn dance, I taught them dance, and so on. And so, you know, everybody in the SCA shares this framework that we can all work within to do fun things together. And it doesn't matter where you go, the game is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Now, you said game, is that what people usually call it? Or, um, <laughs> or is that just something oh, yeah. Not not too often. Once in a while, um, it's 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 more than a game. I mean, like I said, it's kind of a set of hobbies within a hobby. Um, but the fact that it, that you can do this with the a big group of friends and um, I've I've heard so many accounts of people getting themselves into some sort of problem uh, where SCA members would jump in to help. There was a couple that was. <laughs> this is actually one that I was involved in. Um, a friend of mine who has been in the SCA lives in Central Ohio is also um, involved in uh, gaming cons. Um, he was at a, uh, a gaming convention in Columbus, and some friends of his were on their way home to Canada when their car broke down, and um, one of them 
and I actually, they, I think they were in an accident and the car was yeah. severely damaged and the guy ended up in the hospital and the woman was in a hotel and needed to get his stuff to the guy in the hospital and figure out how they were going to get both of them home. They were not members of the SCA, but because they had a connection through people in the SCA, so the guy in Ohio contacted me. I wasn't available to help them that night, but I contacted through a big Facebook group for SCA members and said, hey, is there anybody in that area? This is up near Butler who could help this lady get down to the hospital in Pittsburgh that her friend was life-flighted to to help him out. And within half an hour, I had three people offering to give her a ride. And that's that's really common where where anybody runs into, you know, some sort of difficulty if they're in the SCA or they know somebody who's in the SCA, people can make those connections to help each other out. It's We tend to think of it as more family or community as opposed to a, a game. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I know that's why, um, I mean, I didn't, my family and I didn't start LARPing until like three years ago. And I'm, you know, when I was 30, <laughs> says, you know, and that's sort of what I was, I was looking for, like community and, you know, I've, I've found a community and now we've made the, the community we started at kind of like as LARPs, LARPs kind of come and go. Is <laughs> just like ebbs and flows in the LARP community, but overall there's like a community. And so like we kind of formed a new community with the nonprofit or whatever, but yeah, I mean, community is such an amazing thing. And I mean, it just sounds like wonderful to be a part of, you know? Yeah. And everybody needs a good, healthy hobby. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, sometimes people in the SCA will, will refer to their SCA friends as chosen family, as opposed to blood family. <laughs> when could your personas be related to someone who's not actually your brother? Like, but when you, or at the events, you're of the same family, clan, whatever? Uh, well, so people don't tend to do blood relationships, but there are other kinds of relationships. So, for example, if you have uh, someone who's a peer who has associates, like a knight will have squires, the mm -hmm. equivalent to a squire for a service person, a pelican would be uh, protégés, and the equivalent for an artisan, a member of the Order of the Laurel, would be apprentices. So, for example, I have several apprentices, and they consider themselves sisters, um, even though they're not related to each other, but they're apprentice sisters, and um, and that you know, so there's those kind of relationships. Um, uh, at one point, I was a squire, and I had a bunch of squire brothers, and you know, we we goofed around, and it, it was it was sort of a brother like relationship. Sure. sure like when you do the combat, um, is it kind of like you fight till someone doesn't get up, or are there other rules beyond that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so there are, are definitely rules. Um, so for the, the heavy weapons combat with the rattan swords, there is a certain amount of force that is expected to be considered an acceptable blow, what we call a calibration level. Uh, and different, uh, like, so the, so with the youth combat, calibration levels are lower. We start with, we have, have divisions for the kids where, like, the littlest kids who are six to nine years old have what we call touch calibration, where if, if you're, the sword touches you at all, you're, it's good, and you, and you say, yep, I'm dead. So it's really just a question of a clean, unimpeded blow landing at a legal target area. Now, we do have rules about what's allowed to be struck. Uh, now, with the adults, of course, the calibration level is significantly uh, higher. Um, there are two other uh, age ranges for the kids, and the calibration goes up as you go through the, the different age ranges. Um, I'm not sure how I would describe the calibration for adults. It's 
not quite as hard as you would hit a baseball in a baseball game, I'm guessing. I don't know. Does that? I'm looking at my gentleman friend. He's nodding. So yeah. So a little lighter than that. So for example, the the head and the body are legal targets, and if you're struck there, you then you're considered to be dead. If you're struck in the arm, then you lose the arm. You put it behind your back and you fight with one arm. If you um, but the hand is not a legal target. If you're struck in the hand, you don't take it. Now, um, the a lot of the better fighters, uh, the smart ones anyway. Uh, get steel gauntlets to protect their hands because even with steel gauntlets, just again, if your finger just happens to be in the wrong position, you can still get some damage. I've um, I, I've seen a lot of bruises. I have not seen huge numbers of broken limbs or anything like that. Uh, similarly, if you get struck in the leg from the knee up, actually from just above the knee up the thighs, then you lose your legs and you have to go down on your knees and fight from your knees. Uh, the knee and the shin and the feet are not legal targets because we don't want to hurt people. You know, we understand people have to like be able to walk and, um, use their hands for computer keyboards or, you know, musical instruments or whatever. So the rules are designed to try to be as safe as possible while still, you know, being able to pound the heck out of each other. (laughs) Just like LARP. Well, and that's why we have, you know, helmets made out of um, 14 uh, gauge or, or heavier steel. And there are certain minimum requirements for armor. You have to have a kidney belt made out of heavy leather or equivalent or better. Um, and many people have way more armor than that. Um, and people make armor out of a variety of things. They like to make it look as good as they can, but sometimes they end up with plastic and they just cover it up with a tunic over the armor so you can't see it, that sort of thing. Sounds like my first LARP costume. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, there are rules and we try to make sure that everybody's safe while they still have fun. <laughs> we feel you. Cool. Now um if somebody wants to get more information, um what's what's the best way? Should they try to find a specific local place or just start at the top well, and go to SEA.org <laughs> or whatever? Yeah, yeah. So um if it, I mean I don't know how um geographically spread out your audiences but the national the international organization is sca.org and from that website there are links to find your local groups now in western pennsylvania you can go to athelmark.org and I, I would have to spell that which is a little tricky so you might be better off just starting at sca.org and then the pittsburgh area is debatable lands.org um, but you can just you know Put, um, plug in search terms into Google for SCA stuff, and you know, there's there's uh, each kingdom has a website. Most of the local groups have websites. Um, the the SCA.org site has a lot of good information for newcomers. There's several really amazing and gorgeous videos on the SCA.org site uh, for newcomers that I highly recommend people look at. Um, that give a, a good overview of the activities that we do. So that's a great place to start. Nice. And uh, what would you say to a someone who LARPs but has never SCA'd? What would, how would you encourage them to check it out or, or give them the right expectation or whatever? <laughs> well, I've never... Or whatever. Yeah, no, I, I've never done LARP, but I have a lot of friends who have. I have some friends in Daguerre, for example. Okay. Um, so, you know, I mean... Everybody's got their thing, and some people might find fighting in the SCA a little too much. I know a lot of people don't like the idea of fighting in the SCA because, uh, you know, like doctors who have to use their hands and are worried about getting injured, which, you know, injuries occasionally happen. Um, but we also have fencing, and, you know, so it's a little lighter. So it's, I guess it's a question of, um, you know, if you want to try something that's a little more 
in, into digging deep into things and into the historical stuff and less uh, fantasy. We don't really do a fantasy element in the SCA. So, for example, you can't say, "Hey, I'm a wizard," or you know, or uh, a sorcerer, dwarf, or an elf. Or yeah, right. No, we don't do that kind of thing. But if you, you think can say that, it, but then they gotta lock you up. <laughs> No, well, and you know, and the SCA has a lot of overlap with fantasy communities. When it first started, there were people who wanted to do fantasy stuff, um, elves and dwarves and stuff like that. And that's kind of faded away over the years in favor of the historical kind of stuff. But if you're somebody who, you know, maybe you've watched the Vikings uh, series or, um, you know, there's uh, all kinds of movies and stuff out there, Highlander or whatever, and you think that it would be really interesting to try actually getting your hands dirty doing some of these things and maybe the the, the you want to try something that's more of a test of your physical abilities um, in terms of the combat um, and also I mean I, I know that LARP groups vary from place to place but the impression I've gotten is that if you're not interested in the combat there's not as much to do in most LARP groups as there is in the SCA um, so it offers more to non-combatants in some ways um, now that may or may not be true with it, every LARP group. Mm -hmm. I don't know all of the what's out there, but you know, so it's just a question of what you're looking for. Sure. Much like SCA, LARPs, you know, evolved and changed a lot over the years, and in certain areas, there's a lot of options. So you could probably find one that's more role play and you know, acting oriented more so than combat or a, or a blend. But yeah, definitely, like if you came to our game and you did not want to do any combat at all, you'd probably be sitting in the tavern by yourself at some point. <laughs> <laughs> or at the very most, you know, back to the sidelines watching, which could also be fun. Cool, this has been really cool. Um, anything we have not touched on um, about your specific SEA or the group in general that you wanted to share? Or... Um, not that I can think of. I mean, you know, I, you could, I could talk about the SCA for days on end if I, sure. you know. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that that, that gives a, a general idea of the things that we do. And if people want to go to SCA.org or if they want to learn specifically about Penzik, do go to that NBC News um, uh, clip that you can find just NBC News and then SCA. And uh, it says Honor and Glory is the name of the title of the of the uh, show that they did on the Penzik War. So I will say um, one thing that, that uh, I want to reiterate is that we do not have spectators. Mm -hmm. So even the news people had to wear costumes when they came to Penzik. Um, so if you want to go to an event, you are not going to be allowed to walk in in your you know, T-shirt and jeans and just hang out in your T-shirt and jeans. Somebody will say, hey, why don't we get you a tunic? Um, would you like some feast gear? And you can have, you know, a, a silver or wooden plate and here's a goblet and and you can you know use those to to eat your lunch from the the sideboard and hey why don't you try this thing you know even in the winter time we have dancing we have music we have games one of the things that we do for our 12th night event is we have what's called a, a boffer tournament where uh kids uh usually kids but not just kids will smack each other with pillows and stuffed animals <laughs> as a just a, a kind of a fun thing to do um sure. but so the the point is um don't think of it as a Ren Fair where you're going to be entertained. You think of it as uh, an organization where you go to be involved and to actively participate. So what is, uh, what's on the horizon or what's the future, either again, specifically with your organization, your experience, or SCA? Um, what, what do you think or know is going to happen or what would you like to see <laughs> happening? 
Well, I don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, we're evolving over the time. As I mentioned, the equestrian groups have started to work on how to safely do jousting. Um, there's, There's been a little discussion about using what's called live steel. So our heavy fighters, as I mentioned, use rattan. Uh, you may be familiar with, um, there are organizations that do actual sword fighting with real swords. Uh, one group is called Battle of the Nations. Uh, some, there's another organization called the Armored Combat League. They just started going in the last five years or so in the United States. Um, and there's a U.S. team that's gone to some of those competitions in Europe. Um, I would guess that half of the U.S. team is made up of people from the SCA who are crossovers into the armored combat system. Uh, and there are some people in the SCA who are debating, do we want to try to bring that to the SCA? Others are not so sure because it's way, way dangerous. Sure. Um, I actually, this is, I don't, this might be a little too grisly, I don't know, Go but um, I, actually, <laughs> I actually know a guy who went to one of these competitions and um, used um, they where they use real swords on each other, okay? But they also real, wear real plate armor, like really heavy armor. Um, and even so, apparently in one of the combat outs that they did the, the the battles, he actually cut off this Polish guy's finger. Um, and then the guy whose finger he cut off brought it over and said, "Here, this belongs to you," which is pretty horrifying. And that, I think, has caused a lot of SCA people to go, hmm, I don't know if we want to buy this or not. Because <laughs> it really is very dangerous. Sure. I mean, they, the swords are, are blunt, but, you know, if you happen to catch fingers in, in, in between a, a weapon and a shield, or, a, or they have their, they usually do, like, fences. I've watched some of this combat. Uh, so they're in, inside of a basically a... Uh, a, a like a, a paddock where you'd have horses, except that they're people, and they fight inside of this this fenced-in area. So it's 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 pretty brutal stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's inevitable, but <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, but yeah, um, but you know, these are the these are the adrenaline junkies sure. um, that that really are into that stuff. And now, see, that's that another guy organization. Would have lost his finger one way or another. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sounds like he didn't mind. <laughs> That's yeah, another organization cool where non-combatants don't have a huge amount that they can do. Uh, so, you know, it's I, I, I don't think that that's likely to actually end up coming to the SCA in the, the same form if it comes at all. Um, but, you know, we're always looking for new things to, to do and try. And uh, locally, a friend of mine just uh, started uh, working with some artisans and they've been making coins. Um, they get pewter slugs and they make dyes out of... of um, I'm not sure if they're steel or iron, but anyway, and they they carve these designs into them, and um, they actually offered at some parties at Penzik for people to uh, take a hammer and hit one of the dies to make their own coin, and that was pretty cool. Mm, that sounds really fun, actually. Yeah, so whatever you people can imagine, and you know, do find it in research. I you know, I I know a guy who does falconry, raises peregrine falcons, eagles, even. Um, he has several different kinds of falcons, and he's trained them to go hunting and things like that. So you know, anything that you can imagine that they did in the Middle Ages or Renaissance, there's probably somebody in the SCA who does it. You said you had an event this coming weekend? Uh, there's an event this weekend in southern West Virginia that is specifically for the champions of each of the baronies. Uh, in the Pittsburgh area, the next event that we have scheduled 
is um, let's see. There's one in on the third weekend of September that is a, a symposium for Italian Commedia dell'arte troops that I'll be attending, where uh, people will be putting on plays and learning more about how to write plays, make the costumes, make the masks, all that sort of thing. And then in October, uh, October 20th, we have an event in uh, at a Boy Scout camp in the Butler area. That's the Agincourt-themed event. And then in January, we have our 12th night, which is in uh, North Park in the Pittsburgh area, nice. where people come and just kind of hang out and have fun and eat lots of very fattening food and play games. Sign me up. Perfect. <laughs> and drink each other's beer. Great. Uh, that was really great, because like I said, I didn't know much. Um, and I'm glad to hear it's, it's I, I don't even know what the word is, like that intricate and involved, like it really does go to that level where you have to, you know, if you want to sew a dress and wear it, you got to sew that dress. You know what I mean? You want to cook in a steel kettle and ride a horse and shoot a bow and arrow. Like you're going to be out there doing it. Um, well, and I think that's at least partly because the SCA is very old compared to a lot of LARP groups. We've been around, uh, this is our 53rd year. So, because we started in 1965, so you know, just the fact that the group's been around that long means we have a lot of experience behind us, um, and also the resources have become easier to find. When I started out, if I wanted to do research on a topic like heraldry, I had to drive to a library, and they might or might not have the book I wanted, and that was all there was to it because the internet didn't exist. And you know, when the internet um, became available, I remember just totally, practically dancing for joy when I realized that there were all these resources out there, and now. You know, if I want to design a scroll for the king and queen to give an award to somebody, I can click a button and see 150 different documents on some museum or library's website and go look at every single page in an actual medieval mm -hmm. book. And so it's become much easier to do the research than it used to be. And um, and that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, same with LARP. Um, not to take away from SCA because it's awesome, but that's what we know. It's kind of the same way. Like 10 years ago, it was a lot harder to figure out how to make your own weapons and make your own armor. But since YouTube and the internet have advanced so much in a decade, you know, there's just so many more resources for making things that, you know, look a lot better and work a lot better. Um, so, yeah, that's that's only boom. I think my final question is, do you think in 100 years there'll be an SCA for the 1900s and 2000s? <laughs> Because <laughs> when you were talking about pre-internet world, I was like, you could SEA that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Try well, to survive kinda, without Google. Yeah, we kind of joke about that every now and then that, you know, maybe 500 years from now, there'll be some organization of people reenacting the 19th, 20th, or 21st centuries. Um, maybe, you know, people are endlessly inventive. It's possible. Um, I think that the SCA will probably change over time. I mean, it's been changing over time a lot. I, you know, when I first joined the SCA, for example, uh, there were many places where women weren't allowed to be fighters. They, they, there were men who refused to fight women because they thought it was unchivalrous. And I killed a heck of a lot of them, too. Um, but... <laughs> Um, you know, and now there are lots of women involved in these things. And, you know, so every organization has to evolve. If it doesn't evolve, it dies. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, will the SCA be recreating the 20th century? Uh, probably not. But there'll be some organization out there doing it. Some sure, y yeah. Y2K preparedness group. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. That way, you know, I you guys are probably young enough that you barely remember that. Were you in like in elementary school or something at that point, maybe? Hey, high school, junior high. High school, okay. Y two K, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that was a that was a big bust. Uh, you know, my my husband at the time worked for the Pittsburgh Water and Sewer Authority, and they made him come into the office and be there just in case something weird happened. <laughs> sure. Of course, it didn't. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Karen. Uh, I learned a lot, uh, and which is my favorite thing of doing this show. Thank you for sharing your knowledge base of SEA and your, your passion for it, which comes through, which always makes for a good episode and just a fun conversation. So we really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Sure. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks. You've been listening to 321 Leon. Uh, we are part of Next Level Nerd Network of Podcasts. Be sure to check out all our other podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. sure to check out all our other podcasts our gaming one uh, which you will not find at SCA handsome Evan and the nerd herd gaming podcast sugar frosted cereal which is about TV also not at SCA in fact you won't see any of our podcasts at SCA but anyway uh, next level nerd movie podcast <laughs> I don't script these and Joe and Evan hate them uh, <laughs> I should script them but it's, nah, it's just kind of funny at this point.